It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. But they grab the puck and gold bursting up and they're down across the line. They storm the trees like bumblebees. They travel like a burning flame. We see them slide the puck inside. It's a 1-1 hockey game. Hey there, Bengals fans, and welcome in to the weekend mailbag edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I I think this is still a football podcast after that folky hockey song. We we put the power in the hands of the people, and that is what we ended up with. So you guys can turn this into a mockery, or you can take it seriously. It's up to you. And I think I think there's a good joke there to be had, you know, a hockey song, Canadian guy. I think it was a Canadian guy who who submitted the song on the hockey on a football podcast. I get the joke. You like hockey? I don't. No. I can't oh, I can't see the puck. It moves too fast. Oh man. That's that's one problem for me. Yeah. I I guess I uh don't like hockey either i used to have a favorite team because i tried to pick a favorite team for every sport and it did not last very long but i picked the the boston bruins because they were a rivalry Mm. to the hometown buffalo sabers you know i i actually liked the the pittsburgh penguins when i was a kid Ooh, i know but it's because it's because i like penguins penguins are so (laughs) cool that'll do it for kids and so it's like you know it's like oh the the hockey team's a penguin oh yeah i can get into that the logo's a penguin with a jersey on with a stick and skates. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's cool. I mean. All I, things considered. I also have family in Pittsburgh, right? So I was exposed to them a little bit. Luckily, the Pirates and the and the Steelers didn't stick. Yeah, we don't need that. Although I do catch a gentle ribbing from them from time to time. All right. Let's just get right into the questions this week. Not a whole lot going on in terms of news. I think... Uh, Ja'Kai Polite, that's it. He's visiting the Bengals today. Ja'Kai Polite. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't see that. That just this just got sent to me a minute ago. Huh. What what round do we think of a Ja'Kai Polite at this point? Like third round? Um honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the third round. I, I kind of feel like that's um that's crazy, but at the same time, if he has an Orla- Orlando Brown type fall, and that was Billy Marshall, by the way, that sent it to me. Uh thanks for tagging me in that, Billy. But uh yeah, I mean, if he sees an Orlando Brown type fall, it's possible. Yeah, it's very possible. Weird, weird case. Got to do your homework, though, right? Like, that's a guy that they could see that's, as a potential yeah. faller. Maybe this is somebody... Because Dunlap had motor issues, too, right? 
Yeah. He, he tested you, better at the combine, but, you know. Exactly. If you don't know who Ja'Kai Polite is, uh, he bombed the testing. He's a defensive end, edge rusher from Florida, thought to be a top 15, maybe 20 guy before the combine. Uh, he looked incredibly out of shape. He did not test well. Uh, he was very defensive and questioning, and, and during team meetings, he rubbed everyone completely the wrong way. He is, at best, a second-round pick at, at this point. It was Jordan Mills who was visiting. He left, apparently, without a deal as well. I guess mm-hmm. the team is still looking to upgrade an offensive line, given that visit, but it will not be Jordan Mills, at least as of now. I think that's it. He wasn't good enough for them. Hmm. <laughs> Nothing to say there, right? Let's go on to question. Nope, I get it, but I'm not going to comment. Our first question but, comes from Joe Sheldon at jsheldon32. What is your dream draft scenario, let's say rounds one to four? Mine? Thanks for asking. Oliver in the first and trade the second for Rosen. I pretty much wouldn't care after that. So you ask us to give you four rounds, but yeah, you're checking out after two. Thanks a lot, Joe. That's what um, I thought too, man. That's a cop out. That Put is a cop work. out. Put in the work. But that would be, I would take that obviously, but you need a linebacker. So I'm going to piggyback back off yours and say uh, Blake Cashman in the third. I think third round's really good. I take Jermaine Pratt in the third too, but two different type of guys. One's more of an athlete uh, cover guy, even though Jermaine Pratt tested well. Uh, he's a downhill run stuffer, not very good in coverage. So they could use both because you could potentially replace Preston Brown as an inside guy, Blake Cashman as a uh, weak side linebacker guy in nickel. And then in the fourth round, if that is how it went, I would still like to dip back in the offensive line or I'd like to dip into tight end at that point. I'd take a Jay Sternberger. I'd take a Josh Oliver at tight end. But we've talked so much about Max Sharping and Titus Howard and I don't see a way Caleb McGarry's still there, but I would be interested in those guys if they were somehow still available. Yeah, that's a good list. I think Oliver in the first is a fine dream draft scenario. Maybe in the second, it's, you know, Dalton Reisner has a fall. Or yeah. If, yeah, we're talking, awesome. if we're talking a dream scenario, Devin Bush is there. But I don't think that you can even dream on that right now. No, I don't either. Third round, Jay Sternberger sounds good to me. I think that, he might be gone before the third, given the hype recently. But if we're going to talk dream targets, I think Will Greer in the third sounds really nice to me. Yeah. Uh, and then fourth round, Max Sharping all day. Max Sharping is a dream pick in the fourth round, followed probably by some other offensive linemen like Elton Jenkins or or uh, Memphis running back uh, Henderson. Yeah. All right, next question from TRL at CNatty87. Where do you rank Paul Brown Stadium amongst others? Tailgate, seating, fan experience, engagement in game, etc. Have you been to another game? Another stadium? I don't believe that I have. I've for lived in other Los- sports? For other sports, yes. I've been to a lot of baseball stadiums because baseball games are much, much cheaper to attend. Yeah. Um, Paul Brown has Gold Star Chili okay. and does not have La Rosa's Pizza. I don't. I don't really remember, to be honest. Do you? Do you have an answer to this question? Why don't you give them a real answer? Well, I've been to the Bills Stadium, and uh, I mean, I've been there about ten times or so. I've been to the Paul Brown Stadium maybe four or five times. I can't remember. Uh, but I've never been to other any other football stadium. But I've been to Dodger Stadium, uh, Anaheim Angels Stadium, Atlanta Braves, Cleveland Indians, Toronto Blue Jays. So I've had other fan experiences at sporting events and 
The Bengals is very dry when you go there. And I've always had a good time with the people around me, though, surprisingly. When you go to Buffalo, it's a little bit rowdier and crazier, and especially if you're going as an, a fan of the opponent. Uh, but the stadium-wise, and I'm comparing, I'm, I'm thinking of like the tailgate setting for Paul Brown Stadium. It's kind of in those parking lots that surround underground a little bit. You really don't see it. You really don't see, uh, you know, as you're, as you're approaching it, I was really caught off guard, and then all of a sudden, everyone's down there having a good time, which is awesome. But when you go to Bill Stadium, uh, now it's New Era Field for a couple more years, but uh, it's it, it's not in the city. They want it in the city in the next one, but it's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's kind of like a college setting. I mean, there's no tall buildings or anything. The tallest building is the stadium, and it's just flooded with insane, drunk idiots. It's a good time if that's what you want, but it can also be hostile. I would say uh, it, I feel safer at the at Paul Brown Stadium, but at the same time, not as fun as it potentially could be. That makes me think of uh, Miller Park in Milwaukee. I, I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, and we would go over to Miller Park every now and then for a baseball game, and they just have this massive flat parking lot around the stadium mm-hmm. where there's just tailgating as far as you can see all the way into the stadium. Yeah. I did like the downtown atmosphere, though, uh, for, for Paul Brown. The, yeah, because, you know, people are hanging out at bars. You can go get some food. It's a good time. I have my junior prom, I want to say, at Paul Brown Stadium. That's in, weird. In a, in a banquet hall there. Hmm. That was kind of interesting. It was a good time. Yeah. Our next question comes from Drew, at LWOS Drew on Twitter. Since Mark Walton is all but gone... What running back would you like to see the Bengals take in the sixth or seventh round or earlier if you want, of course. And yeah, Mark Walton, if you missed the news, this is something we could have talked about in the lead, I guess. Mark Walton was arrested again. He was tased this time. Yeah, yeah three weapon. In the last five months. If he's not cut within days, we have an issue. He should have been cut already. Uh, he, the man needs help. It's weird. He does. He, he It seems that way, right? Uh, the Bengals as Paul Daner noted in in his tweet about the topic are typically the type of team that lets the legal process play out. But this is one that, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear cut, right? So who's the running back late round running back for you, Joe, let's say five, five plus. All right. I've got one for six or seven and it's Utah state's Darwin Thompson. And Darwin Thompson is a guy that stood out to me very early. He's a one year starter. He's he came out as a junior and in his one year, he, first of all, he's 5'8", 198. So very similar build to Giovanni Bernard. I think he's got a little bit more um, thin frame than, than Gio does, especially in his waist. Makes him a little more shiftier. But similar size guy. And his one year starting, or one year even playing at, at this level, 153 carries, 1,044 yards, and 14 rushing touchdowns. He also had 23 receptions for 351 yards. That's a 15.3 average and two touchdowns. He... Just had his pro day the other day. I think it was four or five days ago. Ran a 4.53, had a 39-inch vert, a 10.6 broad jump, a 4.3 short shuttle, a 6.93 cone, and also benched 23 times at that wow. size. When you watch him, type his name. Type in Darwin Thompson on Twitter, and you'll have a good time watching videos. That's a lot of bench reps for a guy that small. Yeah, I, he's I got just, a lot of power to him. I just pulled out the Pro Football Focus spider chart on him. It looks very Good. He he was the number one ranked elusive rating guy, Makes which sense. is their metric that combines yards after contact and force tackles missed to come up with a number. Number one in all of college football uh, for guys I think that are eligible in the draft. Number four in percentage of plays where he wasn't tackled on first contact. Mm. 
41.7% of the first defenders to touch Darwin Thompson on a given play could not bring him down. So don't be surprised if you see a team pull the trigger in the fourth round, right? And you're like, who's this guy? And it's he he has some skins on the wall with no tread on the tires. And there's there's really quite a few guys like that in this draft. Memphis's yeah. Tony Pollard, who's the second running back there, was also mm-hmm. very elusive. Uh, has a total of 140 carries because he was playing behind Henderson this year, especially and probably last year too. Uh, ran a 4.52 with a 1.58 split. Has a little bit of explosion to him with a 10 foot broad, 35 inch vert. So he he's got some potential as a late round guy as well. And I just looking at Pro Football Focus's grades, the Ohio running back AJ Ouellette. I don't have his testing numbers, but he graded very, very well from them, both as a runner of the football and as a receiver. And I haven't heard much talk about him either. Yeah. And next one is from Alex Grigsby at Grigsby81. Alex, thanks for the question. You're pretty much with us every week. When Auden Tate was drafted, everyone said that the team should move him to tight end. Why is that not practical? And what would need to happen to make it work? Yeah, Auden Tate came out as a really big guy for a wide receiver. But if you look at his measurements coming out as a tight end, he would have been in the first percentile for weight. Despite being almost 6'5", he was only 228, which for a tight end is Mm -hmm. svelte, to say the least. Uh, For a tight end, though, his 40-yard dash of a 4.68 is actually pretty good. And we've talked a lot about his ball skills, his body control, his ability to make plays on the football. And, you know, the rawness there in his route running and explosiveness, explosive change of direction especially, is limiting factors in his ability to get open and why he fell so far in the draft, despite very strong productivity at Florida State. So what would need to happen? I think you would need to gain weight. He'd probably need to gain at least 10 pounds before you even start to think about it. Yeah. And I wonder I wonder what he's playing at in the NFL. I wonder if he lost weight or gained weight. You would think at the year. combine he lost some weight to run fast. You would think. You would right? think. That's what they typically do. So there's a chance that he might weigh 230 already. He probably would have a lot of technique to work on, especially in terms of inline blocking if they were to ever put him in line. So you could just use him as a move tight end, which wouldn't be much different from asking him to be a slot receiver. Mm -hmm. And the hard part with that is actually calling him a tight end so that defenses treat him as a tight end. You know, if you're just saying he's a slot receiver and you go out there, well, their teams are going to treat him as a wide receiver. And they may put a corner on him that, or even some safeties could probably keep up with Auden Tate. And because of it, it's not really an advantage. But you get a linebacker on him and some other safeties on him, and he can beat those guys. And now his athleticism is not uh, a hindrance to his game. So that's why you want to label him a tight end, call him a tight end, use him as a tight end at times, and then go from there. The, that that would be the trick, though, right? Is is getting other teams to treat him as a yeah. tight end, even if Remember you list Rex him as a Bergen? tight end, if he never lines up. And tight, it never lines up beside a tackle with his hand on the ground. They're just going to put yeah. a corner safety on him. Remember Rex Burkhead being moved to a wide receiver, and he really wasn't. And then it's funny because Hugh Jackson did the same thing with um, the running back, Duke Johnson, it, you know, and said, hey, he's a slot receiver now, guys. And then he kept lining up in the backfield because they kept trying to create a, a situation where they're running against the nickel defense. And the teams that knew the Bengals, would say no he's a running back we're going to defend him as such the teams that didn't uh the, the uncommon opponents rex burkhead would end up getting some crazy matchups in the slot it's really what i remember that year is eye-opening in terms of 
man, these defenses or these other teams really aren't doing their homework. No, and it should be pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Duke Johnson, he actually wants to be a wide receiver, apparently, and, and some around Twitter think that he has a skill set to do so. Out of all the running backs that they talk about moving to wide receiver. He'd be a great player for the Patriots. Who uh, wouldn't? For, for the Saints, too, probably for the Chargers. So there are a few teams. Anyway, next question is, Tyler, Os- was there anything else you wanted to add? No, that's okay. Tyler Olson, T.O. Show 24. Remember the the T.O. T.O. Show show? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, say the Bengals do take Haskins at 11, even with one of the Devons or Ed Oliver still available. Is there a scenario where the Bengals trade back up into the first round to get another top guy? It's not common to do that for a non-quarterback. Trade-ups typically are for a quarterback, and you go get your guy. We did see teams last year move around a little bit more freely i remember the saints coming up and getting marcus davenport and you know it could happen but you you, it would have to be a fall to the 20s i mean they're not going to trade up to 12 and then give up next year's first plus this second and then maybe even it would it would take more than that probably take an extra third or so whether it's this year or next year so you'd pay a lot of capital for a non-quarterback if you went that route yeah and if they wanted to trade back up for one of the devons you're trading back up to 19 and we, sure. that, that's very, very hard to do given, given their draft capital this year. I don't yeah. even know who it would be that would be flying. Maybe if Jonah Williams was there at the end of the first round. But even then, I think the Bengals are just a type of team that they're... Stubborn. <laughs> I was going to say infrequent to trade up in the first place. Yeah. Jeff Hobson wrote about it a lot this week. Remember a few times hearing stories of them considering trading up for Andy Dalton, for Carlos Dunlap. Uh, there was a couple other guys that they ended ultimately missed on. Anthony Fasano, I think, the tight end a few years ago. Or a few years ago, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do remember hearing stories after the draft of them exploring trade-ups. But it usually costs a lot. You're going to lose on value, and uh, they don't like to do that. So next question, Dirty Dubs 513 He asks... If the Bengals are going to 100% take a quarterback with the 11th pick, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke are still available. Who day they take? I hope it would be of these guys, Dwayne Haskins, although I have serious reservations about each of them. I think Drew Locke is not the type of quarterback that fits very well with Zach Taylor in terms of what his strengths are. He's, he, he needs to go to a, a vertical offense. I don't know that that's what we're going to get out of Zach Taylor's Bengals. And then I think Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins could run the offense, but there's more upside, I think, considerably with Dwayne Haskins as a one-year starter who flashed the ability to be a very efficient runner of an offense toward the latter half of his, really, his his playing career, which is one season. So there's some upside there. Daniel Jones just turns me off completely. I did like him originally when watching him. I think his personality has really driven me off a cliff I, I don't know if you've seen his quote today where someone asked him if uh he was the best quarterback in this draft and his response was kind of I don't know I guess so I'm confident in my abilities I wouldn't never say I'm the best but I'm just confident and it's like man you are so dry he doesn't even do humble was. well he doesn't it was like you could be humble and make it interesting that I want to believe it I did not believe it at all but uh out of let's say if it was out of Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke and I still often struggle with this because I'm intrigued with Locke, even though he scares me. 
and I think we have another Drew Locke question coming up. Uh, someone sent me something that the Ringer did and said Drew Locke would be a great fit for Zach Taylor and the Bengals. And uh, Danny Kelly was one of them saying that the Rams-type offense really limits the outlier plays and the off-script stuff. So you would it would be very controlled environment for someone like Locke. And if you could get him to play within that system, you'd have uh, the reins on him and, and you'd get someone that's decently athletic with a strong arm and then allow him to take over when need be because he does have that ability to go off script yeah. and he, he's kind of weird with it but i kind of got that argument because why would you take a guy that is a system guy you know the guy a guy that needs to be within a system i think that's daniel jones and you know when things happen like jared goff and a few times this year where he had to make a play he was unable to do it i, I still think drew Locke when he tries to make a play it usually looks terrible it backfires a lot for him. I watched I watched a couple couple of Drew Lock games this morning. I watched him against Alabama and I watched him against Purdue. And Kyle Krabs told me Purdue is his best tape, and I don't and think he barely. looked all that good against Purdue. No, he made a lot of mistakes. I think they were down at the end, and uh, he almost he, made like he, he almost he, made a mistake after back after back, and then they drove him down the field. On a, he scrambled, I think, on a third or fourth down. He just dropped a ball, John Kitna yeah, style, and that. then he yep. and then he, I think he threw a pick on the very next play. Yeah, and this was with three minutes to go, and they were down by a touchdown, and they miraculously got the ball back again. So here's the argument for Drew Locke, and, and maybe we'll get more into this in a second. He has the arm talent, so yes, like you said, if you can get him to play in your system, then he could be very, very good because he has arm talent. And if you're getting him to play in your system and it's Zach Taylor's system, then that means that you've taught him to be good pre-snap. I think Dar- Daniel Jeremiah said he's a poor man's Mahomes. Like, if you're going to get him Mahomes this year, it's him. And it's because he don't see it. I saw that tweet, and I don't see that comparison. Here's why I understood it. And listen, remember, I don't, I'm don't. i scared to death of Drew Locke. If the Bengals drafted him, I would find the positives and hope for Mahomes type thing. With his arm strength, the propensity to go off script and feel comfortable at least, even though he makes a lot of mistakes. If you watch Mahomes, he made some, and he still does, make some wild decisions but he can because he's got a freak arm and he's a really good athlete and if you look at drew lock he tested as a really good athlete i think a 9.6 relative athletic score we know his arm is extremely strong so there is a chance that that roll of the dice the only way to get mahomes is to roll a drew lock type of dice they're on the same spectrum as we've talked about for quarterbacks and i'm not saying he will be that it's very possible he ends up just being jay cutler and then you kind of got to decide what's that worth I think he would be lucky to be Jay Cutler. I could see it. I think, the, I, I think that despite question, all of the athleticism that he tested, it doesn't show up. And when he does move in the pocket, his movement in the pocket doesn't make sense. And he runs into pressure more than he maneuvers to avoid pressure. I think Dwayne Haskins is better at manipulating the pocket than Drew Locke by a long shot. And when you talk about Drew Locke creating off script, every time I saw him try to throw off his platform out of rhythm, it, it, looked terrible he threw it into the ground he he threw it out of bounds he threw it out of reach of his receiver he's got he's got a great arm the ball comes out it looks pretty he has the zip but i mean that's that's all i see for drew lock right now and deep accuracy is there pretty often it, statistically it definitely is but i thought he threw a terrible deep ball anyways uh we have our quarterback rankings pretty – it's a little in flux, starting to harden up a little bit. But he is a number five quarterback right now, and one of the big red flags on him is just nine-inch hands, which is – if you are under nine and a half, that's a red flag. He is way under that. He's barely, barely um, even 
playable and based on the percentage wise. And then when you go to his production production metrics, shout out to Jim Coburn with a 49.54 gives him like a 3% chance of being successful. So if you're rolling that drew lock dice, you are rolling a very, very risky dice. You're rolling for, for doubles or something. I don't know. Snake eyes, hard, one. hard four. What do you roll in um, Dungeons and Dragons? A D20. What's the hardest to land? Or what are you trying well, to it's, it's five. Everything's 5%, but you want a 20. A 20 is okay. a critical hit. So that's what you're rolling for. You want to roll a 20. If you're going to, yeah, you have a 5% chance of hitting a 20. That pretty much lines up with your 3% chance. Yeah, and his ball velocity also. So if you want one more strike, anything on their 55 is an issue. They test with a radar gun at the combine. He had a 54 to one side and a 53 to the other side. So I averaged him at 53 and a half. That is under the threshold. He has a bunch of scary red flags. Which is weird because it, it, it looks like he can throw. Well, the difference between velocity and and spin and arm strength, it's, it varies. But yeah. this is at least one thing that... Um, is tries to show it or test it. Let's take our next question. It's from Adam Suver at a Suver four. What player for player trades would you explore if you were the Bengals GM? The other team's players don't need to be known as available in this hypothetical. Gotcha. Okay. So right now, who would we really like to be? We've talked about Duran Lee, right? Or Darren Lee at a, at linebacker for the jets. I would still love to explore that, but that's not player for player, but we, it, it doesn't not need to be. They can give Malik Jefferson if they want. And I wonder what Malik Jefferson was get, would get. Someone asked me today, and I don't know if we started in here but uh, for, the, for coming up, but someone asked, is Jefferson going to get a chance this year? And I kind of thought, no, probably not, because they're going to draft the one open spot they have right now. I, I would assume it's at least pointing that way. And Jefferson won't play unless somebody gets hurt. And He's he has to show... Technically a second round or second year player, though, so he might have a chance to beat out a rookie at least for a few sure. games. Yeah, it's possible, but you know, I think there's there is a scenario where he's one of the main guys off the bench, still behind Jordan Evans, and that's possible. So, like a player like that, player for player trade, I would be completely for. Who who could the Bengals sell high on that they don't really quote unquote need? It's a tough question. I don't know that Drake Kirkpatrick would be a sell high, but I wonder if someone would be interested for a probably mid-round pick and when i say that third at the max fourth round more likely and because they signed bw web because they drafted two guys last year because they're able to retain dark was denard and if they spend a day two pick on a corner which isn't unreasonable or crazy uh it would be an area of strength that you could unload a veteran i was thinking maybe sean williams sure could be a guy that if they feel good about their depth there or feel good about a safety they get say day two because of course john ross John Ross, yeah, that's one we've talked about quite a bit. So who, who, who we target, right? So it's hard to say who what, who might be available. Right. Kind of like no one knew Trent Brown was available, apparently. Yeah, that is weird. I remember that, and it's funny because I I was rewatching last year's draft on YouTube the other day, and I was doing stuff. I'm cleaning up around the house. I've got Bleacher Reports. Uh, draft coverage and I'm just letting the first round go and kind of jogging my memory a little bit. And it was around early in the, early in the first round within the first 10 picks. Someone said, uh, yeah, apparently Trent Brown's on the block and this is when they took McGlinchey. So yeah, it was right around that, that time. And so it was known. I just, you know, obviously the Patriots got on the, after the draft or day two or day three, I can't remember. It must've been during the draft. And, uh, 
yeah, the things like that, it's hard to tell. We know who, who could be available for the Bengals. We would need somebody else to tell us who's available for their team. I think you'd have to say, who who are guys on expiring deals? Like, yeah. would, would Derek Wolf be a guy that would interest you as sure. uh, somebody that could maybe come in and be a third down? Maybe he'd be your other defensive tackle, but he could stay on the field for third downs potentially. He's in the last year of his deal in Denver. It would have to also be a similar trade like Cordy Glenn where there's not much cash left or guaranteed money left. That's how the Bengals typically operate. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Cordy Glenn, the deal, the structure made complete sense for them to to trade for him. So it'd have to be someone else that has a similar deal with a flat cap hit for the next year or two years or however, however long he has left. Yeah, I'm looking through this list right now. It's hard to find anybody who I think might even be available. It's going to be, like you said, Trent Brown's a great example because I don't think most of us, 95% of football fans knew who he was until the Patriots traded for him. And then everyone looks him up and go, oh, man, this guy was pretty good. So it's, it's always a situation like that. You ready for the next question? Yeah, let's go. This is from Kyle S. at American underscore Kai, K-Y. Seems like there's been a lot of smoke and mock drafts of us drafting Haskins, whether via trade-up or Haskins sliding. Do you think the smoke is being caused by an unseen fire, or do you think it's merely media speculation? Would you take Haskins or Locke if you had to pick? So a similar question, but more about Haskins this time. Well, we've talked about on the podcast, I think, that it's not necessarily just media speculation. There are NFL sources that are linking the Bengals to Haskins as well. It's not necessarily coming from Paul Brown Stadium, as far as we know. I, I don't think it is actually coming from Paul Brown Stadium, but we know that that Zach Taylor was at Ohio State. He watched Haskins there. He was oogling him and playing pocket pool. Yeah. I would, as we discussed earlier, take Haskins over Locke. But honestly, I don't love either quarterback prospect. And for me in this draft in the first round, the only one I'm really on is Kyler Murray. Right. And I can understand that. And uh, for me, I would take Haskins and roll the dice. I think the upside of his physical upside in terms of arm strength, uh, how quickly and the progression of the year, how he played yeah. throughout the year, really excited me. He went from having, and it's crazy to think he had 50 touchdowns, crazy, insane production year, but that he slowly, you know, ramped up into what he was and how the offense changed in the, in, into the end of the year was really exciting and for a one-year starter. And at I said this before, but he looked like Phillip Rivers at time in college where he just ran the offense to perfection. And um, Rivers isn't a great mover you know athleticism wise Haskins isn't isn't that great but he's 22 years old and he's 6'3 231 and he's got the big hands his production score and compared him to lock with the 49.54 Haskins one year starting a 96.43 production score Jim Coburn look up look him up on Twitter Jim Metrics which suggests all pro type potential which means if he continued to play at the level he did I think if he had one more year of the exact same play he showed this year in production, he'd be a lock to be a top two pick. And because you back that up twice in a row, well, that's who you are. You find a way to succeed. Tom Brady finds a way to succeed without being spectacular in a lot lot of ways. So I think Haskins, you could take that bet and say, yeah, he's going to do this again. This is replicatable. Or that bet can backfire and and it's just he was in a great system or – He's got some more issues that I think are evident on tape and we've talked about, especially when things break down and, and, and his deep accuracy and things like that. So if it's if it's not, you know, it's not it's not a one other thing, too. 
I'm, I'm losing my mind a little bit. But one other thing, ball velocity, because we mentioned it with Drew Locke, 52 miles per hour for Dwayne Haskins. So he also was below that. I wonder if they're testing it different this year because most of the guys failed the, th- the threshold. Did anybody pass? Yeah, Will Greer, Brett Ripien, Jordan Tayamu, and Clayton Thorson. Kyler Clayton Murray Thorson. did not throw. I know Kyler Murray didn't throw. I wonder if they got it at the pro day. Few guys at fifty four: Gardner Minshew, Tyree Jackson. A few guys at fifty three point five: Finley, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones. So there was people on the cusp, but just a handful that went over. Do you remember what Dalton was? Yeah, fifty six. Right, because Greer being fifty eight and a half because he had a fifty nine and a, and a fifty eight. Uh, Mahomes was a sixty. And it's not something that really shows up on tape for Greer at all. Josh Allen was a sixty two. So curious to know if something changed with the velocity measuring this year. Our next question comes from Kyle Scoble at Scoby Snacks. Welcome back to the mailbags, Kyle. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin? He can beat press, which a lot of rookies have trouble with. And with his physical attributes, looks like a future number one to me. Also, any tips on where to find unbiased Bengals coverage? Well, obviously, the Locked on Bengals podcast is where you're looking at it. Yep. But we talk uh, about Cincy Jungle a lot too, and I think yep. the Bengals beat does a good job in their reporting. Also Cat Terrell. So there's a bunch of options. Yeah. And for Miles Boykin, he tested like a freak, right? Miles Boykin tested of all the these top receivers that were big, heavy, uh long arm, big hands, and ran fast. My, and, and everyone's getting the comparison to Calvin Johnson. Miles Boykin was actually the one that got closest to Calvin. And if you look at it, and you, everyone went back to the tape like, whoa, who's this guy? Let's go back and see it because he didn't have the production or at least the consistency. He looks raw. And he wins a lot because he's big and athletic. But look, honestly, a lot of these guys do. That's how they win at, at the stage. So if you can teach him to, to do more, be more, I think he struggles at times to adjust to passes. Uh, sometimes doesn't look as fluid as you would like, but he's a big guy, 228, 230 range. So it makes sense. You know, expectations for those big guys are a little bit different because they, they got to win the physical game. And I think Boykin does. So in my opinion, I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the second round. But if he's there in the third or fourth, and I don't, I really doubt it. But if he's there a little bit later, I think that's a high upside roll of the dice right there. Yeah, Miles Boykin tested in the 86th percentile for his 20-yard shuttle, 77th for his three-cone which is crazy. Insane, insane explosion. 99th percentile, 98th percentile for broad and vertical respectively. And obviously ran the four, four, two. Yeah. So he has a body for it. He had decent production. I would say at least in his senior year, he had 59 catches for 867 yards. He had eight touchdowns. He only had three drops, which is a pretty solid drop rate. It's not great. It's not terrible. Good deep pass receiver. His relative athletic score was a 9.93. Pretty much maximized. Uh, Kentley Platt compares him to actually Andre Johnson. Oh, yeah. Sure. So the question is, and I I haven't actually gone back to watch what kind of route tree he ran and see what his tape looks like. The question is really, how how does he run routes, right? You talk about him being able to be pressed, but can can he do anything besides getting vertical 11 of his 59 catches were on deep passes yeah you're right you'd want him to be more and i think it's that stems to sometimes tracking the ball there were some bad throws that he received and i don't think he adjusted well enough uh so you got 
But you want that big guy to box out. and You know, obviously he's not Kevin Johnson because he's not doing that part. If he was, he'd be going top 10. But mm -hmm. there's issues in his game, and he's worth the development, in my opinion. The other thing to note here is he has a very strong run blocking grade. Good. Uh, for that is wide good. receivers coming out. And you would expect that, I think, at the college level from a guy who's 6'3", 220. Even but though he only did 12 reps on the bench. That's good to see. Another guy that I would say needs to be on the radar now, talking about Miles Boykin in a similar vein, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who's shown that he knows how to run routes. Very well-developed oh, yeah. route runner. Uh, excellent body control. Great catch radius. Good ball skills. Right. And ran a 4-4-9 at the pro Insane. People thought he'd be a um, Keenan Allen run a 4-7, which Allen was hurt when he ran his, but... Uh, Running a four four nine, even if it's a four five, four five two, four five five, if it gets adjusted for pro day, it's very good for him. That is a huge win for him. And in fact, I want it's it's a backlogged group. I think even for the number one receiver, all the way up into you know, if we're talking the Hakeem Butler, Paris Campbell, whoever may be in the top of the second round, uh, our single white side is in there. And we talked about the ball skills for Boykin and going up and catching it and boxing guys out and using his body. That's where our single white side really, really looks good. And then some other guys you could talk about as, as bigger guys. Uh, Kelvin Harmon, very developed in terms of professional refinement. A little bit slower, but still 6'2", 220. He just ran a 4'6", so I think people have cooled on him. He didn't test great uh, in straight line speed, and he really tested actually pretty poorly in agility drills as well. So there, this, this year is just weird, right? There's a bunch of these yeah. guys that are 6'2", 6'4", 6'2", to 6'6", really, about 220, yeah. They, ran, they ran fast, have production. Nikhil Harry's another one. Yep. The, the list goes on, right? It's it's a deep list. It makes you want one because they're freaks. And I'm, yeah. all, I'm, in, I'm in favor of freaks. You kind of got to find one, right? But like some guys like Lil Jordan Humphrey, who I think some people are saying, you know, I've seen him mock to the Bengals a few times in sixth, seventh round. He, he's 6'3", 210, had a lot of production in Texas, but he ran a 4'7", Right. You're going to tell me Auden Tate. You're going to tell me Auden Tate can't play wide receiver. Right. Yeah. So I don't think they'll do that again. If they draft someone, it may be speed. Take a Marquise Brown in the third or fourth round huh, out of Oklahoma. John Ross Cologne, really. He's more. He's he's lighter, though. I think he was under the threshold. Uh, really only compares him to Deshaun Jackson. Anyways, next question is from Lonnie. I want to say Wiesar Jr., STL Kiss on Twitter. And he goes, I'm a huge Bengals fan in St. Louis. Being a Missouri guy, I'd love to see the team draft Drew Locke. You have praised and criticized Locke. If they pulled the trigger on Locke, how would you feel? I, I would feel conflicted in a couple ways. One, I'm excited they've picked a quarterback. Two, I'm excited for his arm talent, and I think he throws a very pretty ball, and when he's in rhythm and he's hitting guys deep, he, he can put the ball in a spot that's quite good. So he yeah. has a lot of arm talent, and... I think that under pressure, he has huge issues. I think off script, I don't really like what I've seen off script because, like I said, you talked about him having the Mahomes potential, but when I watch him go off script, he's throwing interceptions, dropping the ball, throwing it backwards nine yards by accident. And then nine-inch hand, man. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's some flags for me. But if the Bengals pick him, you, you immediately say, okay, here's what he can do. Yeah. And here's what we're hoping he builds on. And we're hoping that the marriage with Zach Taylor is such that, like I said, you get him into your system. That means you've taught him how to be good pre-snap and how to be efficient. 
and take take what the play design is giving you. Yeah, and I've said this previously that uh, I will have a difference of opinion. Uh, obviously, when it comes to draft prospects and the way they operate, very rarely am I completely out as soon as a draft pick happens. Cedric way he comes to mind. I wasn't even completely out when they took Billy Price. It was the uh, it was expected, so I have already geared my mind towards it and. Once Price, you know, made some mistakes, I was back into, well, yeah, this is what he's going to be. But point being, if whatever quarterback they draft, I'm going to throw away my final evaluation. But but the first 10 pages still count. What you see on tape is still who he's going to be. It's just maybe the conclusion will be different. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you may not feel great about Deshaun Watson when he was drafted, but now I'll take Deshaun Watson. So it's kind of quarterbacks a, a different animal and I felt this way about Andy Dalton he was my fifth quarterback or something at the time that year and I as soon as he was drafted I said okay this is your guy let's go Carson Palmer's out of here I will support Andy Dalton until I realize what that final page is and it came fairly quickly three years or so we could realize exactly what Andy Dalton was even though he has made statistical improvements and some minor adjustments in his game point being is players don't change and for the most part what you see is what you'll get it just depends on how well it gets controlled by the support of the team and and the staff. Players do change a little bit, but it's hard to say when and how they change. Tom Brady changed. It took him a very long time. Sure, but he's a six-round pick. I'm just saying that I'm not talking about him as a draft guy. I'm saying players change. It's rare. It's rare that they take that step. It's very rare, obviously. It doesn't happen very often, especially the quarterback position. And it may be even truer for us because I feel like the Bengals haven't gotten – much change in terms of physical and development out of their guys. Whoever they drafted and you watch their tape, that's who they ended up being. That is mostly fair, I'd say, for the Bengals. I'd say that they have, I don't know, that's that's true, but they've also gotten great production out of not the first round and guys like Carlos Dunlap and Gino well, sure, Atkins. And, yeah. yeah. That's not unreasonable. But I would say Geno Atkins, if you could ever go back and watch him, he was Geno Atkins at Georgia. It's I'm, just, I'm not saying he wasn't. I, I, this isn't so much about change as it is, you know. It, it, they get maximized. In the NFL, your strengths, hopefully if you have a good court coaching staff and the talent around you that amplify your strengths, your strengths get magnified. And that's a good thing. That's what you want. And Drew Locke has some strengths that I would love to magnify. The problem is if he's not in a good system and if you're going against a good defense that will magnify his weaknesses – He's yeah. got some pretty exploitable weaknesses, and that's where I would it, – it will rear its head. And it will for even Mahomes maybe one day, but it will rear its head on lock, and I will try and keep my composure as long as I can until it becomes clear that it's either hurting the team or they've maxed out what he could possibly be. Yeah, and if you want to see what he does against a good defense, just turn on that Alabama game. There's a few, there's a few games that will scare you away. We're going to take a quick break and come back for the rest of your questions. This is our favorite episode of the week. We hope you're enjoying it too. Stick around and we will finish up the Bengals weekend mailbag. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. It is our weekend mailbag edition. This is our favorite episode. Our next question comes from Greg Borchers. I think that's right. I'm sorry, Greg. Uh, he says, do falling quarterbacks represent the best draft value? By falling, I mean guys outside the top 10 who were considered top 10 values leading to the draft. It is a mixed bag. Mahomes, Watson, Roethlisberger, Flacco, Rogers, Manziel. Uh, who's he got? Smith. Oh, Geno Smith there. Yes. Also, Mark Walton is a hot mess. Yes, he is great. Yeah, Mark Walton's got to go. Are falling quarterbacks the best value in the draft? I don't think that quarterback is ever the best value in the draft. Except ever. out of this list, the only one you could say is good. Well, I, th- I think you could say uh, Watson. Not Watson. Both were considered late first, second rounders. No, no, no. Mahomes and uh, Watson. Russell Wilson, great value. Sure. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, great value. Ben yeah. Roethlisberger, great value. But Roethlisberger yes. was also but, coming out of Miami of Ohio. So who the hell knew what he was going to do? Of course, Philip Rivers and Eli Manning went above him. That's true. So, I mean, there's a reason sometimes these third quarterbacks in these drafts, if you're looking at Watson Mahomes, second and third quarterback drafted, uh, Flacco's after Matt Ryan, Rodgers obviously was after Alex Smith, Manziel, we've talked about that draft a, a bunch where it was uh, Bortles and then Bridgewater and Carr all mixed in there. So that's when it happens. The Geno Smith one was a second-round pick. EJ Manuel being the first rounder, that was a that's the only draft where you can look and there was no quality players come out of it. And I think Mike Lennon was that year, maybe. We talked about this before. Uh it really he's the best player to come out of that draft at quarterback. That rarely happens. So do falling quarterbacks represent the best draft value? The reason this is so rare is because quarterbacks are overdrafted almost every year. Teams trade yep. up to get quarterbacks to make sure they get the guy they want. Yep. And they and they don't risk losing that guy. So the best value in the draft are guys like Geno Atkins, Grady Jarrett, Marvin uh, Jones, Marvin Jones. I had him forty second, forty first on my board. Yeah. And so like when those happen, that's when you're like, man, I'm glad to have this guy in the fifth round. George Iloka. So when when the guys that you, I mean, it's not. I don't think it's consistent, but yeah, sure, fallers definitely are great value, and the Bengals have capitalized on this throughout the years was guys like Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson, both guys so, that fell out of where they thought say, they were drafted. You could say that an actual falling quarterback that you think is really high. I mean, the Packers, were they trying to draft Aaron Rodgers that year? And they must have thought highly of Rodgers. All of a sudden, they're like, man, he's still on the board. What is going on here? So there are rare, like we said, rare cases of a faller. So, yeah, if there is a real faller, and we can only name a few, uh, yeah, that would be represent the best value of all time, maybe, right? Aaron Rodgers could go down as the top 10 quarterback of, in history, if not higher, and he was taken much later in the draft than is typical for a quarterback. Quarterback's just such a weird position. It is. Like I've said, but I made the case that it shouldn't even be on the same board. Like you have yeah. your board, then you have your – who would you take in the first round as a quarterback? Yeah. If you only got one guy, if you got two guys, that's it. You don't compromise because the top two guys went and you need a quarterback. You just take the next guy. It doesn't work that way. And then is it ever worth taking a round two, three quarterback? Or at that point is it just, well, we might as well just get our guy in the fifth round that we think can develop? If Yeah, if you're confident in your evaluation, no, you don't reach. You just say, well, that's it. The, that, the, the well is dry after the two guys. If you think this year Kyler Murray and Haskins, that's it. That's it. You don't reach for Daniel Jones. You don't reach for Drew Locke or whoever it may be or Will Greer. You just say, ah, screw it. We didn't get a quarterback. Speaking of quarterback, our next question comes from Kyle Kaler. Kyle Kaler, one on Twitter. Okay, Andre talked about the CBA and a possible short offseason for the players that year. My question is, in anticipation for this possibility, does it make more sense 
to draft a quarterback at 11 this year instead of waiting until the following year. So they have essentially well, this would be 2021, season. right? Would it? Yeah. The CBA expires in 2021. So we have two more drafts. Yeah. So we, you'd still have the 2021 draft. And uh, so this would be a good question for following unless, unless it's Trevor Lawrence and you have the top overall pick. Well, then you're uh, you, you'd be pretty mad. You forced a quarterback pick because of this reason, but I can see what you're saying. If you remember though, 2011 was the last time there was a shortened off season and that was Andy Dalton. He hit the ground running and Cam Newton came out and threw for 380 yards in week one against the Cardinals. So it didn't affect them at all. Mm-hmm. I think it could affect them, but sure. we have recent evidence that it that it doesn't affect them, and we don't have we don't have a huge sample size to to really talk about. I'm sure it has an effect, but I don't think that means it's un. You don't have the ability to overcome it. It's not right? just quarterbacks, right? Like it's the defenses that are also behind. Everyone's behind. And maybe that was the reason why the quarterbacks hit the ground running for that class. Well, I can think of at least two guys, Kaepernick. I mean, very shortly after, but. Uh, you know, maybe it's because the defenses were really bad that year. Anyways, next question is from Grant at Grant Dickman, too. What moves would you have to make to become a real Super Bowl contender? And do you think Andy Dalton would be that guy? I think we've seen a team in a hypothetical world where Andy Dalton could be that guy. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that he couldn't be that guy. He's not the guy that's going to carry you to a Super Bowl, most likely. I mean... Any any quarterback apparently can pull a Joe Flacco or a Nick Foles and carry you to a Super Bowl. Yeah. So in that sense of the word, sure, Andy could, but it doesn't seem like a very likely scenario. So to become a real Super Bowl contender with Andy Dalton as your quarterback, you have to do what they did in 2015 and build an incredible team around him. They had a great offensive line. They had great weapons uh, for Andy Dalton on the offense, and they had a really good defense that year. They basically nailed four straight drafts and culminated in 2012 draft of really just nailing that with their 10-11 picks, crushing the fifth round, and, you know, they they aced the draft, and it was unrealistic to, to expect it to continue, and it didn't. Obviously, we've, we've redrafted 14 and 15 recently and saw the impact that it had on this roster. But if, if Andy Dalton is that guy for this franchise, this is, is a big part of the question because this franchise isn't supporting a middle-of-the-road quarterback. And if they did, you'd feel much more comfortable with Dalton. But the fact is they don't maximize their cap. We talked to Andre yesterday and you listened to that. They they don't make the moves necessary. They never build up and gear up for one run. Even 2015, they rolled over like $6 million in cap space. They never really geared up and said, this will get us over the hump. Let's add a few free agents. Let's make a trade at the trade deadline. And let's, let's get this team uh, where it needs to be. And that's why, that is partly why, probably a big reason why I get to the conclusion of we need to draft a quarterback. And it's really, I think, about this team and why I get to that that point of drafting a quarterback is because of the franchise. And it's going to more than likely take a superstar quarterback to pull this franchise out of the depths of its own bubble it lives in. And when I think of the Indianapolis Colts as a franchise, not much different than the Bengals. Owner is a joke. Uh, really, you know, you, you've... Everyone has heard the issues that the Colts have had. Even if you look at the year one, between Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck, and it just completely burned down. And it seemed like even the people within that organization were fighting each other and they couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden they go from Manning, which brought them out of the depths of being the Colts, and then Andrew Luck, which has been a good pick if, you, if they protected him. And they still haven't been able to protect him. Yet, still, with a horrible roster, they still end up beating the Bengals when they do play because Luck is Luck and Andy Dalton's Andy Dalton. That makes me think of another question we got. So we're going to jump ahead. When you think about the Bengals signing 
Bobby Hart to play right tackle, and you look at deals around the league for guys like Daryl Williams, Ty Naseki, that's what kind of makes me think of this question. When you're building around Andy Dalton, you need to build around with the best you can get. And, yes, and yes. I don't think that they've done a very good job of that this offseason. So Evan Deep asks, what do you think is more likely, that the Bengals genuinely don't care about winning, leading to cheap money and the lack of outside free agents, or that they sincerely do want to win but just aren't qualified enough or are too stubborn to do what's necessary? Yeah, I think the latter part is probably most true. But if you aren't putting the effort forward or at least open to outside ideas or outside influence, then you're not putting your best foot forward to win and you truly don't want to win, right? So it's kind of both of those can be true. Uh, you can say, I want to go to the gym, work out and lose weight. But if you don't go do it, do you really want to lose weight and get in shape? So I think that's kind of how I would describe the Bengals. Or if you go to the gym and most of the time you're taking selfies and talking about how you're working out, but really you only get a couple of reps in, you know, yeah. one, of the, one of those gym people. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of getting in shape, but you're really not maximizing what you could be. Yeah, you're you're you know you're not obese. You're 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 not going to die of a heart attack tomorrow, but you're not going to win a fitness championship either. I think that's exactly what the Bengals are, and I I do think that they want to win. I think that they want to win their way, and yeah. their way comes from Paul Brown, which is Mike Brown's trying to win the way his dad did forty years ago, and it's not working. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, the NFL is a totally different beast. So to sum it up. Yes, I think they want to win. I think that they have some people in the organization that know how to win too, and it's just not all coming together. Next question from Harold Moskowitz at CH Golaw. Now that Mark Walton is probably done, will running back now be higher in the draft plans, or do we wait till late in the draft and maybe sign Alex Collins or maybe even Jeremy Hill? There is literally less chance of Jeremy Hill being a Bengal than there. Well, I don't even know what unlikely thing you could come up with. There's less chance of Jeremy Hill being a Cincinnati Bengal again than there is of me inventing a time machine and telling the Bengals to take a knee instead of handing it off to him after Vontaze <laughs> Burfick's interception in 2015. Great. Uh, I don't know that running back is higher in the draft plan. I don't think it was ever that high in the first place, and they still do have two more years of Mixon and another year of Geo, or two more years of Geo. So I don't yeah, think it needs to be that. One. I don't think it needs to be that high. But I mean, I think it's. I think they wanted a third running back, and I don't think that they're married to Walton at all. And so it could be. I think fifth fifth plus is where I would expect. Sure. Yeah, because I was surprised last year when when they went in the fourth. You yeah. know. So it wasn't it wasn't expected last year, and those guys were even younger and on a longer deal. So, um, and the thing about Walton was that he was really good on special teams. That third guy has to be able to play special teams usually because you're only activating three running backs, especially when Mixon's going to take the load and you still want to have a role for Giovanni Bernard. You're really never going to get to that third back. So drafting a Jeremy or uh, signing a Jeremy Hill wouldn't work for that. Uh, I'm not sure how much. Alex Collins has played special teams at all, so I really don't know about that. But guy I'm interested in was a quarterback convert last year out of uh, USF oh, and yeah. Quentin Flowers and someone that they really liked, and he would make sense for a special teamer also. And, and that fourth running back can be a developmental guy, and the third guy is active, so maybe he's he's the fourth guy. Our next question comes from Derek Ober. How long does Zach Taylor have to prove his ability to coach the Bengals at a level of more success than Marvin? Does he get the same leash, theoretically 2008, 2010, or 2016 to fan standards for Marvin? 
Or is the NFL now a two to three season window to prove it, given teams like Philadelphia and the Los Angeles Rams having immediate success with their new coaches? Love the podcast. Thanks, Derek. I feel like the rest of the league is a two or three year window and the Bengals are under their own set of standards, as we have alluded to plenty of times. Uh, I don't know what that means. You know, if you crash and burn and you look incompetent, you can see how the Cardinals release their guy after one year. I'm, I don't think the Bengals would do that. But I mean, if you do that two or three times and you don't draft, a, yeah, and you're the Browns and you don't draft the right quarterback at number one or two, because if that's the situation it leads, we're talking about firing him. So they'd have to be that bad. Uh, yeah, then you get fired. But I think at the same time, uh, there's other ways to extend your longevity and extend your, your, your leash, I think, in the NFL. And one of them is if he doesn't draft a quarterback this year and they let Andy Dalton maybe play out his contract two years and then he drafts a quarterback, well, and you say, well, I just drafted this guy. Let me at least work with him. You know, and you see that all the time. If you don't draft one that first year, which is very common for new head coaches, uh, you always have that ace in, in, in your back pocket that you can pull out and say, well, let me get my guy, and then it extends you. So we'll see how they handle that because I think that could accelerate uh, the timetable. Before Marvin Lewis came along, the Bengals didn't necessarily show a lot of loyalty to coaches. They really churned through him. They fired guys midseason. They they had, you know, I remember Dick LeBeau hardly, hardly got a chance. And yeah. so I think that the reason Marvin got so much run is because he immediately got the team out of the category of a joke. And I think that's the same thing that we're going to see happening in Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens, if if he can put a year together out there, yeah, but and, so much expectations with Kitchen that could go the opposite way, right? It could, and I think the Browns have a history of being very impatient, and I also think that with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback, it couldn't yeah. possibly go that poorly. But the reason I think Marvin got so much run is because he immediately had an eight and eight season with John Kitna, yep, and then he and they has, drafted their quarterback, and he had Carson Palmer coming the next year. I think if Zach Taylor bombs this year and they and they I think if he bombs this year, I think Dalton's gone. I think they're drafting a quarterback next year. And I think if there's not positive movement in year two, you can see him gone after year two. I don't think the Bengals necessarily I mean, they were very loyal to Marvin Lewis, but that's because they went to the playoffs for the first time in thirty years in two thousand five. And similar situation though. Even though they went well, they go eight and eight two years in a row, or was it seven and nine with Carson Palmer as is his sophomore first I, year starting? I believe it was eight and eight. Yeah, I thought it was too, but uh, you know that's kind of to the point of extending your your window or your leash, so to say. And you know he, they drafted Carson, they didn't play him year one. They they eight and eight, which was felt like they won the championship, you know, for fans. And then the following year, Carson starts his first year, uh, you know positive flashes and signs you really knew he was going to be the franchise guy after that rookie year and it extended them again where okay now 2015 is the expectation i didn't mean 2015 i meant 2005 is the expectation for them to do something then they go to the playoffs marvin gets an extension and uh, carson palmer gets an extension everyone's happy so you know if the if they draft a quarterback this year and they start Andy Dalton. Well, that gives, I think, my, my mind, Taylor two years because then you would start him start the new guy next year. Whether he plays well or not, it would give you hope of yeah. 2021, and then it would we'd move from there based on expectations of that quarterback probably. Yeah, And th- that's another thing about Marvin too is he always got good quarterback play, right? 
We've discussed this. I, I think if you go for a, a stretch of even one or two years, maybe two and a half years of bad quarterback play, you're going to be gone as a coach. You're just teams just wipe the wipe the slate clean at that point. But the Bengals never had to worry about that for really the, the whole time Marvin was here. He also had the number one overall pick his first year, which helps. It helps you stock up on a bunch of talent. Um, I, I again, I don't know that Zach Taylor will have the same kind of leash. I think expectations are higher. If he just has an eight and eight season, then it's it's not like he's on the hot seat after he goes eight and eight. But it's like okay, let's do better. And if yeah. he has an eight and eight season, honestly, I think we're we're looking at three years before anything's changed because they're sticking with Dalton for another year and they're going to try to build around him again. Yeah, I agree. Next question from Greg Benasic at Lars Funden. And I think you got a new friend here, Jake. He yeah. said, did I hear you correctly when Jake mentioned he lives in Canada? Whereabouts? There are so few Bengals fans to catch a game with out here. Yeah, and I think I looked and it said that you live in Ontario, Mississauga. So you can tell that I'm not Canadian because I don't know how to pronounce Mississauga. I don't know if well, that's correct I'll, or not. You're right on that because he's not far from me then. Okay. I'm, in, I'm in Niagara Falls. Greg, so we are closer to each other. We could catch a game. Yeah, Greg, you can go down to Buffalo and watch a game with Joe. I'm on the west coast of Canada on Vancouver Island, so I'm I'm way out here. But I have seen a few guys walking around town wearing Ocho Cinco jerseys. Actually, Johnson, but, you know, 85. I mean, if you don't have a, a Chad Johnson jersey, then who really are you, right? Uh, yeah. That, that encapsulates I, I, a whole era of football. Yeah. I think everyone was a Chad fan. But but there was there was a guy I talked to at the gym one day who who was wearing, I don't know if it was a Bengals hat or a Bengals shirt, and I talked to him and said, "Hey, you're a Bengals fan?" He's like, "Oh yeah, well my dad is, and and you know I, right. I watch the games with him." I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Cincinnati. It's just it's cool to see some because like out here I'm, I'm north of Seattle, right? Like I'm way out here." Yeah, and my barber is a Bengals fan actually. There you go. Is that why Isn't he's that a weird? barber? Well, you know, I walked in there after I moved a couple years ago. It was right around the corner. And uh, I said, you know, I'll go in here. And I'm sitting down, and I look, and he's got a bunch of sports memorabilia up, and I see a lot of Bengal stuff, a lot of Bengal stuff, mixed in with other things, that, you know, kind of how I would have it too. And uh, just hearing his conversation, the way he's talking. And he's talking about, I believe, his dog and his Volkswagen. I drive a Volkswagen also. And I'm like, something about this guy is very familiar. And he's followed me a long time on Twitter. I follow him because I learned oh, yeah. he was in the area. And all of a sudden, he goes, all right, next, looks up, and he's like, Joey G, and this is crazy, and it was. I mean, because now we now I go there often. We hang out, we talk, and I and shout out to Pat if you're listening. There you go. Next question comes from L1C4 at Darth Card. If Oliver and White are gone by eleven, would you rather take Burns, Bush, or trade back? I would take Burns or trade back. I think there are plenty of good linebackers later on. Thanks for always being the best. Thanks, Thanks, Darth. Very nice of you. Um, I know what you mean about Burns, man. I I really like the idea of Burns. I thought Matt Miller's tweet yesterday from uh, NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. He said he talked to a defensive line coach, and he believes that Burns is a little bit lower on NFL teams boards than he is ours. And because I, I think the draft community thinks he's a top 10 lock and should be. I mean, he tested like a freak. He had the most pressures and disruptions of any edge rusher in, in college football. He should be he should be a top five pick if this defensive class wasn't so insane. I mean, a crazy, crazy class. If he's still there at 11 and they take him, guess what? 
I'm excited. Do I think they need him? No. Do you always need a freak edge rusher? Hell yeah, and I'll take him right now. So if that was the decision between Bush and Burns and they take Burns, don't be disappointed, Bengals fans. I know we need a linebacker, but I'll find you a linebacker in day two. Next question is from Pete Wensler at Bear1297. Do you think I, I would get on TV if I buy a custom-made jersey with the name Harrenby and I wear a gorilla suit? Asking for a friend. Also, I know you both live far away. Do you make it to many games? We kind of talked about this. He says, though, I've got extra tickets to to each game if you both are welcome to come. First beer on me. What do you think about that, Jake? We going to a game? Let's go to a game. We'll go to a you game got, with Pete. You got to go to Cincinnati once in a while, right? I, I, I do have family there, and I'll be back in the area at some point. Maybe, maybe early in the season. My parents go to Florida in the winters now, so... Early in the season, I think they'll still be in Cincinnati. Uh, it's Harambe, Joe. That's the gorilla that was shot yeah, at the Cincinnati. I, I know, but I thought it was Harambe. <laughs> I will, uh, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I always thought it was Harambe. No, I'm probably wrong. Uh, As, if you don't know, I've been having a lot of uh, reading errors today while we recorded, but one take Jake over here has been editing them all out. I do think you would get on TV if you if you wore a gorilla suit with a Harambe jersey. For the wrong jersey. reasons. Yeah, I mean, it'd be funny, but also sad. Maybe for Halloween, right? We'll come to a game with you anyway. Just, you know, we'll, we'll come to a game with you anyway. Yeah, I think that's cool. Our next question comes from Hootay Matt at Matty Wayne on Twitter. Would you sign AJ Green if you were the Brown family? He'll be 31 this year, and with Julio Jones supposedly getting close to 20 million a year, what number aren't you going to go over to keep him? And we talked about this with Andre yesterday, but I don't know if I got your opinion, Joe. Yeah, I um, I have some fear with it, with injuries and with pairing him with Andy Dalton, because honestly, I don't think we're maximizing him. If we're going to pay him $20 million, I want to be able to him to perform the way I think he can and could have his career with an offensive system that can really maximize his talents. I think A.J. Green should be a Hall of Famer. I don't think he is right now, and – you know, I know Andre called him that uh, yesterday, but you got to have an all pro to make the Hall of Fame, and he, he doesn't have one yet. And I think it would take a late season heroics or postseason heroics where he takes over a game a la Larry Fitzgerald when they went to the Super Bowl. And as of now, that's not on the horizon. And it it's, makes me sad. I want to keep AJ Green for as long as possible. I don't care the price. I will figure out the cap. Bengals are never in cap hell. So it's not, that's not an issue. But I do want to maximize his his contract or i'm sorry his ability under the contract and you know it makes me makes me upset when i see other fans that aren't bengals fans other nfl fans underrate him continuously right they have his whole career and it's because he's in cincinnati and he just goes about his business doesn't say anything then he makes a freak play and of course everyone sees it but then they forget you know about him for five more weeks and i it drives me nuts because i think we know exactly who he is and who he can be yep i have this split mind on the issue my heart says keep aj here for his whole career my brain says if we're running this team as a football business this is a 31 year old receiver this year i want to franchise him next year and then see what happens yeah stay healthy for those two years before i commit and it's not very fair to the player this is the nature of the nfl if i'm the brown family though I don't know. I, I think they'll try to lock up AJ. It seems like they really like him. It seems like they, they want him to be around. Yeah. We'll see what happens. What's yep. our next question? I got question, the next Joe? question. Tyler Lindsay. Tyler Lindsay 08. 
what would you think of free agency happening after the draft? This is also another thing we talked about with Andre, and then maybe this is why you brought it up because Andre's tagged in this. Seems like a win-win to me. Teams are able to fill their roster holes a little more easier, and the players win because there will be because teams will be more aggressive on building on bidding on positions they were not able to hit on the draft. And he also says, and most importantly, I don't think Bobby Hart would get the same deal if free uh-huh. agency was after the draft. There's a couple things going on there, right? Like you don't know who you're going to be able to resign. You don't know who you're going to be able to draft free agency right now informs the draft, because if you fill your holes in free agency, it allows you to go BPA in the draft. So I wonder if you see teams draft more for need. If free agency came after the draft at the, on the other hand, maybe, you know, like you say, they just draft best player available and say, okay, this is who we got. Who can we go get on the free agent market now? The 2011 draft was weird. Even you look back at it, and we talked about this with Andre, it was stacked at the top. Everyone picked the best players. It seemed like all the best players from that draft were picked in the first 15 picks. And then quarterbacks kind of drifted off with Andy Dalton and Colin Kaepernick. And then the Bengals, that's the that's the draft that built the foundation of their team. And it happened before free agency. And they got Clint Bowling also in the fourth round, Dante Moke in the third, kind of a typical Bengals mid-round pick, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that's the... It worked for them that year really well. I think I would like it. Do we think it would be good for players? No, I don't think it would be. Not for the mid-tier guys. I think the middle-class guys would really be hung out to dry. Because uh, the, yeah. the top guys, the elite guys, will get their money. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll find a place for them. Uh, then I think there's, it's the mid-guys. Yeah, because there's less need then, right? Yeah. Like there's less John Miller won't get signed like that. I don't know. I can see it going both ways. I would, I would love the third round guard. You should feel as comfortable as, as with him as a John. If if you got a guard, but if you didn't get a guard, then you're like, okay, I missed. I'm not, I'm not going to spend the money on, you know, Matt Paradis if he's a guard. So who am I going to get? Oh, maybe I'll get John Miller. He, he's a above average guy. I can plug in. Sure. If you don't get those guys in the draft, I just mean you're going to cut off half the teams that may have interest, but there's always going to be guys that you don't get in the draft is a thing, right. right? So, Either way, there's going to be te- you're, you're going to have need. So it depends on how it affects the draft. Do teams start drafting for need because they feel that need for security, that need to know who the player is going to be? Yeah. Then it's probably not great for guys like John Miller because there won't be a need. Like you'd see a lot more guys getting signed to be backups or one year starters. So it could lead to more one year deals. Mm-hmm. Our next question comes from Roger Spurgeon. Why haven't the Bengals done more to promote Ken Anderson and Ken Riley to the Hall of Fame? Both seem like obvious choices to me. I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Roger. You know, there is some a lot of campaigning that goes on, especially for the guys that are now in the, the what is it called? The legacy group. Uh, is that right? When you're past uh, or you've been up, you've been past so many times. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember if that's the name or not. Yeah, apparently you go on to some subgroup where everyone's going to vote for one legacy player a year to, to make it in. Uh, and I think Ken Anderson probably – it might happen. It honestly may happen. But there, you do have to com- campaign for it. You do have to show his stats and his history. And I retweeted something today from FGB Chase on, on Twitter. Um, and Ken Anderson, era-adjusted quarterback rating, is 14th all-time. Yeah. And – he was super good for that time. And had they have won one, that especially the one uh, early in the 80s, it, then he'd be in. It, it would have already happened. But it didn't happen, and it's Cincinnati, and they can't seem to get the respect 
just like we're talking about for AJ Green outside of the outside of Ohio, and because of it, the players suffer. And so it it, it does fall on the franchise to show how good these players were and act like. I mean, Ron Jaworski, you know him because he's on TV, and you know him because the Eagles bring him to all their stuff, and you, and he gets celebrated every time they do anything. But Ron Jaworski wasn't anything. You go look at his stats. Ron Jaworski was just a guy, and they they treat him like he was a uh, legend in for the Philadelphia Eagles. So. Yes, you could do a lot more with Ken Anderson. I think this goes to a deeper question. And we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the renovation at Paul Brown Stadium and the hallway where they've got the pictures of the team legends and what have you. The Bengals don't do a good job, even locally, of recognizing. They don't, I mean, do they have a ring of honor now? Is that no. what they're no, they, they, don't have, have, they have online nothing. Hall of Fame. They're not willing to, and maybe this is a money thing because I talked about this too. The Reds spent a bunch of money on their really nice Reds Hall of Fame and it's right down the street. So it doesn't look good for the Bengals when they won't pony up the cash to say, you know what, let's just recognize the guys that have been here. And and that, I think that also speaks to the current culture too. And Zach Taylor's talked about this. Let's make the history important. And maybe, you know, Mike Brown is aging. Maybe he'll see, you know, I want my legacy from the greats that have played under me as I've owned the team. I want that to be enshrined too. So maybe maybe you'll start to see more of that. It's been something that people have been asking for for a long time. Yeah. And he hasn't budged. So I would like to see it. I, I'd go to a Bengals Hall of Fame, wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah. Especially, and it won't even have to be before a game because it's downtown. You know, say so you're doing something downtown and they just built this Bengals room hall whatever it is that uh, celebrated show some old clips let you get nostalgic for a little bit yeah that'd be fun yeah i mean there's tons to do around the area now i think the red stadium has better walkability because all the stuff is right across the street from great american yeah. ballpark but it's still you have a, an actual scene between the stadiums downtown cincinnati now yeah it's only growing with the fountains I, and everything and I think Gio even or lived, I think, maybe early in his career. I think he lived in one of those buildings. He's getting married now. He can't still be there. But no. he was there last year. Anyways, this next question is from Jordan Grigsby at Jordan Grigsby 5. He said, what's more likely? Perfect has his best year in Oakland under Paul Gunther. Or Andy Dalton has his best year under Zach Taylor. I think it's Andy Dalton having his best year under Zach Taylor. And here's why. I think Perfect's best year will be very hard for him to repeat. He had some very, very good play. Dalton also had 2015, in which he was very, very good, but I think it's more likely that he reaches that level again, and yep. that happens if everybody stays healthy, right? Yep, and the, and offensive, the offensive line the ground. And the offensive line exceeds expectations, too. That's the big question I was stuck on, is can this offensive line protect Andy Dalton to let him be the player he was in 2015, and I, I mean, on the surface, we have to say no, right? We have to look at it objectively and say, but no, but I mean, what what does perfect what does perfect show you that says he could have his best year? Best year? Oh, He's I, had. I'm good not going to pick perfect. Okay. I'm going to pick Andy Dalton, and it's I was going to get to sure. it. I was just all right. Just going to lead into it a little bit. All right. Okay? So there's those factors, but then Jake, you and I have talked about it. And we've looked at Jared Goff in that Rams offense, and we looked at how much they use play action. We looked at Andy, Andy Dalton's stats. Throwing from play action, how often he gets sacked, how much pressures, usually if you look league-wide, pressures from off play action are in half almost of what you normally have of drop back passing. And if that's the offense they're bringing here and that's what they're doing, even Bobby Hart will have better production. And because of it, Andy Dalton will have better production. And if you can get John Ross up to full speed, there is a potential that this is the best offense weapons-wise that he's ever had. Joe Mixon. 
Yeah. Giovanni Bernard, the three receivers, Eifert and Uzama, yes. They could still draft a tight end. They could still draft another receiver. Uh, this potentially could be the best weapons he's ever had, and he had some really good ones in 2015. So saying that, and if the offense works, and if this is the Rams offense and they can get it going, there's a very real possibility that he outplays or outproduces, I should say, because I think he played really well in 2015 and produced really well. I think he could outproduce 2015 without matching the play, if that makes sense. Our next question comes from Cody Mead, Meter14 on Twitter. What is the worst case scenario in the first round? Which player would you be the most upset with? I've had some good answers in years past. And I thought about this the other day because I was looking at old tweets. People send me stuff sometimes and for fun or to poke fun. I don't know. Either way, uh, they send me the Abwehi thing, and that's what we talked about that when we redrafted. 2015 uh and that was one that was at the time i said my worst case scenario before the draft right now it's hard because you pick 11th and it would have to be a run of 10 guys in the first round that leads you to daniel jones and you're just like man i really don't feel good about this like i said though about quarterback i'll get on board try and find the upside and you know hope that they get the most out of them but i think of a non-quarterback for me and i say this even though I think he could end up being good or really good. And that's Cody Ford, the mm. offensive lineman of Oklahoma, because I don't think there's a spot for him to jump in. Now he's a one-year starter. Some of you uh, think he needs a, a year of development anyways. So, yeah, maybe you say, okay, you're going to back up all positions. And you got to think left tackle got hurt last year. Uh, yeah. Right guard missed a couple games. Center missed a bunch of games. You're back up. You're, you're six guys going to play. Now they it seems like they have a lot of six guys right now. But ha, if they draft one, I'll be kind of upset with any offensive lineman at this point only because they're not going to make an impact or at least not scheduled to make an impact. They probably will down the line. But uh, that that's kind of how I feel. There isn't a player. Maybe Rashawn Gary is the least yeah. excited I would be for on the field tape-wise. I'd be like, man, I you know, they're taking a risk here. Yeah, Rashad Gary was one of the guys I was considering as well, just because the production wasn't there. He's got the freak athleticism, but there are huge questions marks about whether that translates to the football field. I think it depends on who's on the board too, right? Like if they take sure. Christian Wilkins over Ed Oliver, yes. I'm not feeling very good about that. If they take Devin Bush over Ed Oliver, I'll be okay with it because Devin Bush looks like a good linebacker, but we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and it's positional value of taking a linebacker at 11 when you could potentially have an edge rusher, a tight end, a defensive tackle, somebody that could really, I mean, really change the game in a way that linebackers don't anymore. Others could be, you know, Greg Little. If that were to somehow happen in the first round, that would be a real head scratcher. So if they go offensive line and they take a guy that I don't think is, you know, worthy of that pick and, and Cody Ford is one of those two, then that would be one that would be yeah, not feeling and, super great. And the thing about Oliver, too, is, uh, you know, I think he potentially could have an Aaron Donald type of disrupt disruption for your defense and and i don't want to pass on that you know for me when i look back and i see aaron donald in in the 2014 draft go 13 and the picks preceding him were all good players anthony bars made a pro bowl eric ebron this year made a pro bowl taylor luan taylor luan for the titans has been a pro bowl tackle or beckham jr so you know it's hard to say that those teams really messed up by not taking donald because they got really good players but in hindsight they all should have taken donald because donald is the best defensive player in the league so I could see them taking a Devin Bush and we end up getting a really good linebacker and miss out on a generational talent that would really leave us sour for a long time. And that's not to say that Ed Oliver is going to be 
No, but he has the potential Aaron to be. Donald. But yeah, he has the athleticism. He has flashed the ability to be there. I don't think he's as good of a prospect as Aaron Donald was, but I don't think he's that far off. No, I don't either. And you got to remember Donald. So we're saying like he's not as good as Donald. Donald went 13. But then Jadavion Clowney and Khalil Mack were also in that draft. Anthony yeah. Barrow was considered an edge guy also. And they all went ahead of, of Donald. So that's where I get to the point of that's why Oliver could be there because of those reasons. And it's another draft where it's loaded on defensive line in the top. Yeah, exactly. Next question is from Ben Lutas. Lutas, nine. Could Clayton Fedulum potentially come into the box and play linebacker? You talked about Sean Williams doing it. And I I was wondering which attributes are most important when playing the hybrid role. So the first thing with Fedulum is his weight, right? He only weighs 205 pounds, and most of the guys that you would like to see, if they're going to split time between safety and linebacker, you'd like to see them at least 220, if not a little bit heavier, especially if you're asking him to actually play more linebacker snaps. Looking at how he was used by the Bengals in 2018, about 45% of his safety snaps were in the box, uh, with 55% of them being lined up at free safety. The rest of his defensive snaps came at corner alignments. He had 34 snaps at either slot, most of those at slot, and a couple snaps at wide corner. So the Bengals did ask him to play in the box 45% of the time in, in those safety looks. And then in the slot corner, if you consider that, playing in the box, you would add another 32 snaps or so. So he did play in the box. He's a very good athlete. He he has great explosion, good speed, great speed if you're playing him at linebacker. But the big thing is really the weight. He did yeah. he did have good bench numbers, so he has strong upper body, but 205 in the box and, and yeah, you're one of two linebackers. Also. Yeah, and if you're one of the two linebackers at that weight, I mean, you're going to get washed out if a, line, if, a, if a lineman gets his hands on you. Yeah, and if you look at the guys that have done it around the league and continue to do it, Malcolm Jenkins, Patrick Chung, Mark Barron, Landon Collins, these guys are either uh, 215 to 220 or they're very dense. If you look at Malcolm Jenkins, that's 210. Patrick Chung, I think, is like 212. Those guys are 5'10", 5'11". Mark Barron is a shorter uh, linebacker. That was a safety. So you – you want the density, basically. So you, that's from a physical standpoint. You, standpoint, you got to be able to hold up. But really what you're looking for for those guys, they're going to play more like a weak side linebacker. They're going to be the ones that's going to stay free and stay clean if you can help it. Yeah. Uh, they're going to match up with tight ends, match up with backs. You want them to be able to cover. It's a difference covering man coverage, covering short zone, middle zone, and deep zone, which any linebacker is going to have to do all those anyways. So you want them to be able to match up in man coverage. But – Outside linebackers pretty much have uh, slant flats, hooks, and and flats. They they have it simple. They don't have to run downfield typically unless they're in man coverage, which the Bengals typically haven't done. New defensive staff, so it's a little different. But teams generally don't like to get those safeties or linebackers in man coverage. So uh, that's why we say Sean Williams makes sense. He honestly he fits the bill, and that's why Fedulum looked decent at times. Sometimes he looked a little wild at safety. So you might as well just do it with Sean Williams. Uh, Sean Williams is, is definitely a beefier guy, at least. And he's good against the run. He's physical. He's strong. So let's go to our next question. This one's from Aaron Bird at Aaron the Bird. Hypothetically, let's imagine Drew Locke is a 100% guarantee to be Jay Cutler with the potential to get even better. Would you rather have a guarantee of Cutler level play on a rookie contract or Andy Dalton at his current level on a new contract? That uh, is 
Kind of a tough question. You, you spell it out very specifically. So I will say, because of that, you don't leave me any wiggle room to make an argument otherwise. I'm going to say you take the Jay Cutler on the rookie contract. And I say that because the rookie contract is the most valuable factor of all these. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you're talking about Andy Dalton at his current level on a new contract, Andy Dalton's right. new contract is going to be bigger, you would yeah. think. Especially, I mean, I mean, quarterbacks around the league are getting paid more. So. You're talking about paying Andy Dalton more money at his current level versus Jay Cutler with potential to get better on a rookie deal. I'm taking the rookie deal. Mostly Even because if you it's paid a him deal. his current money. Even his current money is $10 million more than what you'd pay the, the Jay Cutler rookie. Yeah. Well, probably even more because the sure. Bengals would be drafting him at 11. Yes. Right. So, yeah, I, I would – like I said, that rookie contract is big. And if you're going to maximize it and actually maximize it, we talked about this with the earlier question of the Bengals franchise, then that is worth a lot to them. Next question, Travis McCoy. What is your favorite night of the draft? I made a huge error in signing up for a road trip on draft weekend. So I'll not be watching days two and three. Pretty bummed about missing day two as it's my favorite with multiple high value picks. I like day two. I also like the fourth round a lot, and I wish that they did one and two on day one, and then just everything else was on a second day. Because then you I remember could, how it used to be. What was it? One, two, three. Yeah, one, two, three on Saturday. Now, if you're young, you don't remember this. So I'm lighting up. This is my favorite question of the week. We may vote for him because of this now. Nostalgia. So. Yeah. All right. So Saturday used to be a party. Saturday and Sunday, honestly, we'd get together with our friends. We'd do mock drafts. We'd have drinks. It'd be an event. It's a marathon. It started, I think, at noon or 1. You weren't done until 11 at night, man. It was all day, first three rounds. You got three new players. You were excited, you know, and at that age, that was – I would go I'd go create them in Madden, play with play a game at night with three new players. That's, that's a good time. And then you get up, 10 a.m., round four starting, and you got to go rounds four, five, six, and seven. That was also a marathon, usually at about 8 o'clock or so at night. Uh, we had a good time with that, and we – you know, you could do that because it was an event rather than now it's on prime time. You get one round. Some of my, my my best friends at Cowboys fan, they don't even have a first round pick. So I don't even know if we'll get together this year. Thanks, everybody, for your mailbag questions this week. We will see you next time on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It'll probably be a mock draft Monday. Have a great weekend, Bengals fans. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.